Isaiah 60, 61, and 62 all go together. And they all go together, and they're all talking about the future blessings of Israel. Now, some of you may be here thinking, okay, we have been in the book of Isaiah for about 10 years now. We have heard all about the future blessings of Israel. What more is there to hear about? Well, you've got to think like a Jew when it comes to this type of stuff. From a Jewish perspective, the future blessings of Israel is the key thing. Because for Israel to be blessed, that means what? Jesus is ruling and reigning. If Jesus is ruling and reigning, what does that mean? Well, that means the rapture's happened, the tribulation's over, we're in the millennial reign. So this is all good. This is something you want to talk about all the time. This is a fun thing. Now, I know we've heard it a lot before, and sometimes you may say, okay, we're going to hear about the millennial reign tonight, we're going to hear about the second coming. But you know, when God wrote this book thousands of years ago, he wanted to repeat and repeat and repeat these points because this is what it all comes down to. And we don't want to take something that is the key event of everything and just downgrade it. Now, generally on a Sunday morning, we focus more on application. We focus more on evangelism, etc. The beauty about a Wednesday night is we can step back a little bit and chew on some of these things that we normally wouldn't get a chance to, or uh, we would on a Sunday morning. Quick story, though, before we get into this. I can remember uh, years ago, my wife and I and a friend drove out to California. And so as we're driving out to California, we spent our first night in Kansas. Now, as we got up the next day to head towards California, obviously we were going to hit the Rocky Mountains. Now, I was excited about seeing the Rocky Mountains. Now, as we were driving out to California, I remember the family that we stayed with in Kansas says, when you get to Colorado border, you're going to probably start seeing the mountains. And I remember that here we are, we're gotten into Colorado, and we're looking at the mountains, and I see in the far, far distance this tiny little thing, and that was the Rocky Mountains. And I was so horribly disappointed. And I thought, this is really stupid, is to drive all this way out here, and you see this tiny little thing. And I remember Dawn was impressed. The guy we were with was by the name of Jason. He was impressed. And I kind of thought, okay, this is the buildup as to this. Now, you know, obviously, what happens. As you keep going towards the mountains, what happens? They just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Next thing you know, hours later, they're still getting bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, they're covering the entire horizon. And then you really see the vast expanse of it, and you're thinking, okay, Lord, this is pretty cool. This is really cool. Well, the thing is, we've heard so much about the millennial reign. We've heard so much about the second coming of Christ. We're like, okay, yeah, I've heard it. And we look in the distance, and we see the signs of the times coming together. We see things starting to happen, and we see the tiny little mountain in the distance. And we're like, okay, this is what I'm getting excited about. I tell you guys, the millennial reign is what it's all about. That's when Jesus really gets to rule as king. See, we are such a society that focuses on the here and now. We think this is what it is. This is not what it is. This is the trial and tribulation period that we're supposed to be going through to get to that point of that time of Christ ruling and reigning. And that's what we look forward to, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. You can never talk enough about Israel and the second coming and the millennial reign because that's what it builds up to. Now, we're going to talk a lot about that, and then as we finish, we're going to finish with the application for us, because I do believe it's important always to bring some points home. But with that being said, Renee, do you want to throw up uh, the first um, slide here real quick? Now, I did a few slides here real quick, because I always want to make sure you know some of the stuff. This is the key verse, because you may be thinking, okay, why do we care? Genesis 12, 2 through 3, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God speaking to Abraham in Genesis 12. So how do we fit into this? Very simply put, if you bless Israel, God blesses you. 
If you curse Israel, God is cursing you. And you are blessed through the Jewish nation. Why? Because Jesus was a Jew. You all know this. But this is why it's so important to care. Now, I don't want to get real political on things tonight, but you know where I stand as a nation, what I believe we should do here with Israel, our, our undying support for them. And I understand there's a lot of things politically to get worked up. This last year we've gotten worked up about health care, we get worked up about taxes, we get worked up about those things. But if you watch as a nation, we're slowly taking our support away from Israel. That, that is a big deal. That's a real big deal. Because part of the reason why the nation, United States, has been so blessed is we have always blessed Israel. And if you remember back in 2008, we did a whole evening on it was the 60th anniversary of Israel becoming a nation. And we threw up some facts and figures there of how much financially the United States has blessed Israel, how much we have done as a nation to support them. And if you want, I encourage you to go back. It's in May of 2008 if you want to grab that uh, CD and get a chance to listen to it. But I can't stress you enough, as a Christian group here tonight, keep your eye on Israel. You know, when I watch the news and I see the little hubbub with North Korea and South Korea popping up, and it's easy to get worked up about stuff, you think of Matthew 24, what did Jesus say? There'll be wars and rumors of war. Okay, I obviously don't want bloodshed. I'd hate to see something happen between two nations like that. But part of me also stops and says, okay, it really doesn't affect Israel. Israel is the key when it comes to end times prophecy. Keep your eye on Israel. That's that little mountain in the distance, and we're going to watch this thing blossom and get bigger. And if you still say, okay, I'm going to be raptured out before all this, what's the big deal? The big deal is by us blessing the Jews, God says, bless us. And this is what happens back in Genesis 12. This was set up thousands of years ago as the role and the importance of the Jewish nation. We've got to remember that. So with that being said, take us to the next one here. What are we going to talk about? In Isaiah 60, Israel is supposed to be a light to the Jews. Here, here in Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The reason God set up Israel is they were supposed to shine for him and point people towards Jehovah, towards God. You can look at the other references there in Isaiah 42 and 49. This idea of that... They were supposed to be a picture of salvation. And so the other nations were supposed to look at Israel and say, we want what you have. Well, the problem was the nation of Israel very rarely ever got it together spiritually for other nations to say, we want what you have. The nation of Israel was generally a laughingstock of the world. And we've talked numerous times before how they constantly were the nation that was getting beat upon and stepped upon and they were forgotten. The original goal of this is that God says, I'm going to use you as a nation to tell people about me. And he goes into detail in Deuteronomy 7. He says, the reason I chose you is really because you were the weakest, most worthless nation in the world. I chose such a worthless, weak nation. So therefore, when you were elevated and glorified, people said, that's impossible. And the whole point is for Israel to say it is impossible, but it's God doing it through us. Same thing still happens today. You know I'm a student of history. If you go back and look at the Israel War in 48, 67, whatever, you know, all the different ones there, there's no way Israel should have won any of those. There's no way Israel should still be around today. There's no way. They're surrounded by a billion Muslims. They should not be around. By them still being around, it's a walking light and a witness that God has something to do with that nation. It's an amazing thing. So they're supposed to be a light and a witness. They're supposed to shine, and they're supposed to point the Gentiles towards God. 
Problem is, they didn't do it. Go to the next one, if you will, Renee. So that's the purpose of the millennial reign, is that they get to do it finally. It finally all comes together, and it finally works. And you can see by these references here, look at verses 4 and 9. It says, lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Jump ahead to verse 9. Surely the coastland shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar. They'll silver and their gold with them to the name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel because he has glorified you. See, during the millennial reign, Israel will be the light of the world. The Jews will come back to Israel more than what we've even seen now. And even the Gentiles will be focused around Israel. Israel will be the center of everything. And so as you look here at the next one, go ahead. What will Israel be like during the millennial reign? first one here is the center of the world. They will truly be the center of the world. Everything is going to revolve around that because you know why? Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning in Israel. Now that's amazing to me. Absolutely amazing. Turn, if you will, to Zechariah real quick. Let's take a look at this reference. The way the world's going to be set up here during millennial reign is Christ is literally going to be ruling and reigning from Israel. Now, as you're going to Zechariah, real quick, uh, end times in 30 seconds or less. The next thing to happen in the stage of prophecy is the rapture of the church. That's where all believers are taken out. So if you are born again and saved here tonight, when the rapture of the church happens, which can happen at any time, boom, just like that, you're out, you're in heaven. As soon as the rapture happens, this sets off a seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. This is where it's literally hell on earth. This is where the Antichrist comes into power. This is where you have the false prophet. And for these seven years, this is where you have revelation in full effect. You have the bold judgments, the trumpet judgments. You have all these judgments going on. Well, the seven-year tribulation period ends with something called the second coming of Christ. See, Christ has already come once. He came the first time in a manger. He comes the second time, the second coming of Christ which happens at the Battle of Armageddon, and this is where Jesus defeats all the enemies of the Lord. And he then stays on earth, and he rules and reigns for a thousand years. And this is all in Revelation 19 and 20. So when we're talking about the millennial reign, we're talking about the final events here of earth. Jesus literally, physically ruling and reigning from earth. And we've talked about this throughout the book of uh, Isaiah before. He will be at the temple. You will be able to go to the temple and hear Jesus teach. You will be able to go see him. And the world will be focused around Israel because that's where God will be. Well, look here at Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. "...shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles." So. They're literally going to go up to Jerusalem to see Jesus. And it shall be that whichever of the families of earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the feast of the tabernacles. So God's going to be ruling and reigning. Now the Bible says he's going to rule and reign with an iron rod. How's he going to do that? Very simply put, he's going to say, here I am, I'm the king of this world, this is the way it's supposed to be, I'm God. If you as a nation choose to reject this, there's going to be punishments that come upon you. The way I kind of look at it is, you know what? You may be 18, you may be 19, but as long as you live in your parents' house, you need to do what they say. Well, nations of the world, you may not want Jesus as your king. If you're going to live in this world, you're going to listen to his rules. If you choose not to listen to his rules, there will be a punishment, there will be a disobedience. And this is what's happening during the millennial reign. Now, obviously, as believers, the believers that are living on the world at that time, what a blessing of a world it will be. Isaiah goes into detail, and this is kind of a review of the book of Isaiah. This is where it talks about if a child would die at the age of 100, 
that child would seem young because people are going to live. It's almost like going back to the Garden of Eden, if you will. There, the curse is going to be reversed, not lifted. They talk about the child playing at the serpent's hole because there's nothing to be afraid of. You know, there's peace in Jerusalem. There's this great passage in the book of Zechariah that the old men and women will sit on the streets of Jerusalem while the children play. The millennial reign is going to be an amazing thing. It's what God wanted from the beginning, this idea of God ruling and reigning on earth. So, the center of the world. Next one we've already talked about is peace. You can look here in Isaiah 60, verse 18. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. Can you imagine Israel being at peace? If you had to pick one place in the world that you probably would not want to just go hang out, you know, obviously Iraq, Afghanistan, etc. But Israel, people are always afraid to go to Israel. Why? Because there's not peace there. Well, when Jesus is ruling and reigning, there will be peace. There's actually another reference in Isaiah 60 where it says the gates will be open all night. It's like the idea of you don't have to lock your house. And why are the gates open all night in Isaiah 60? Because the Gentiles are bringing in so much to worship the Lord, they have to keep the gates open so people can keep coming in to drop off their offerings. That's what it's going to be like. Next one, God's presence, Isaiah 60, 19 through 20. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for by brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your God your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your morning shall be ended. God's presence will be there in Israel. You also will see God's blessings, verse 22 of Isaiah 60. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. A little one becomes a thousand, meaning Israel is so small, but yet will become very strong and mighty and powerful. I, I saw something fascinating. By 1905, there was a half million people living in Israel. And by 2006, there were 6.5 million. Now you may say, well, that's because they became a nation in 48. Even if you go from 1948 to 2006, the increase was by four plus million people. This gathering together that's coming around. And, you know, I know obviously the population of the United States has gone up, but you're dealing with 300 million in the United States. Israel, for that to happen, it's an amazing thing. And this is what's also going to happen during the millennial reign, too. And also, it will be rebuilt. And Isaiah 61, 4 through 7 there, you see this idea of the ruins being rebuilt, the town being rebuilt. And who's going to be doing it? The Gentiles. They're coming back because they have such a love for the Jews and they have such a love for the Lord that they're coming back and they actually help rebuild Israel. Now, don't you find it fascinating? Now, for, you know, if you ever go out into the world, how much people hate the Jews? Now, why do they hate the Jews? There, there is a, a satanic hatred of Israel. Just people hate the Jews. And I even hear people that claim to be Christians using certain jokes and euphemisms about Jews. And it just blows my mind how that's become in our vernacular and our rhetoric. And you see this, but yet what's going to happen during the millennial reign is what? The Gentiles are going to come back and say there's such a love for the Jewish people and such a love for Jesus that they're going to come back and say, let us rebuild this town as our offering and our sacrifice to the Lord. So what you see during the millennial reign here, it's absolutely fascinating. Jerusalem, center of the world, peace, God's presence, God's blessing, being rebuilt. What an amazing thing that's going to be going on during the millennial reign. Now let's stop real quick. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments here before we move on to the rest of this stuff? Yeah, John. Mm-hmm. 
What's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period is Matthew chapter 25, separation of the sheep of the goats. So the only people going into the millennial reign are going to be believers, the only ones. So I believe in Zechariah, when it's talking about there about the nations that come, it's literally going to be talking about the nations that are around today. And I use the context of verse 18 because then he talks about Egypt. So therefore, if certain nations don't want to come honor Jesus as king, that's part of the punishment that comes because he's king of kings and lord of lords. But the only people going into the tribulation, excuse me, going into the millennial reign are going to be believers and believers only. Anybody else have any other questions here or comments before we go on? In Revelation, um, it talks about at the end of the millennial reign, when Satan is actually judged, he's mm-hmm. loosed upon the earth yet again. Mm-hmm. And he just goes about deceiving people. That just to me says that of those original people who were part of the millennial reign, as they had children, right. and their children had children, they were not believers or could make that choice for themselves and yet they chose sin yep. and in turn were deceived and so some of that could be yeah and, and that's the true part and I think is one of the over a thousand years how many generations of people well and over a thousand years how many generations and plus if the life expectancy is now elongated how many people are going to be living I mean the earth right. at the end of the tribulation I figured it up one time and assuming the earth has five billion people um and assuming that one billion gets raptured, let's be optimistic and say 20% of the world is saved. You know, by the time you're done with Revelation, you're down to less than a billion people even making it through. And out of those people that make it through, how many of those are walking with the Lord at that point? You literally could be going into the millennial reign with with hundreds, maybe thousands of people. So for the in a thousand years, with life expectancies being elongated, no war, no nothing, no disease, no death type stuff. The population will grow exponentially very quickly. But you bring up a good point, Marcus. The kids born during the millennial reign have never had to choose between good or evil. They live in a world where there is not the temptation of the enemy. They live in a world where all they know is Jesus ruling and reigning. And so what happens is when Satan is let loose after that thousand years, these people who have never tasted anything but good, I think it's one of the saddest verses in the Bible, Many of them turn away from this great world and say, we're going to believe the lie of Satan. But you know what? Adam and Eve believed the lie of Satan. And they had it great. It was the Garden of Eden. It just sows our sin nature. And it's a very, very sad verse of what happens at the end of the millennial reign is that those people that were born and raised during the millennium, how they turn away from the Lord because they believe the lie of Satan when he's let loose again. Yeah. You mean talk about for the saints that are ruling and reigning? Yeah, because they'll be all part of Yeah. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing. Is, and, you know, if you get more time, since we're getting short here in time, I encourage you to read Revelation 20 where it goes into detail about this. Because, you know, we as believers that have either tasted death before this happens or we get raptured out, we get to come back from the millennial reign too. Now, we don't get to live on the earth like the human population. The Bible says we get to rule and reign with Christ for that thousand years. And that's going to be a fascinating thing. So, but you know, we'll have our, I believe, our glorified bodies by then, and you know, so it'll be a little, little different when it comes to that, but it still can be a fascinating thing. Yeah, mom. I'm talking about the people that are genetically speaking Jewish. That's what we're talking about. Because as a Gentile, I can become part of the Jewish faith 
And I can be Jewish in my faith, but I can never be Jewish in my heritage. So I believe when it's talking here in Isaiah, it's talking about people that are by heritage Jews, the Jewish people. That's what I believe we're talking about with that. No, no, actually the country of Israel is one of the most atheistic, agnostic countries in the entire world. When you really look at some of the surveys of the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel is really not a God-fearing country in any way whatsoever. And that's part of one of the amazing things about what's going to happen during millennial reign is spiritually they're going to come around to the Lord too. Because right now there is a, a minority over in Israel that I believe is a God-fearing group. And if you remember correctly, a few years ago we went through the Jewish religion, and we talked about the different groups of Jewish religion, the Orthodox, etc. There is still a group of Jews over there waiting for the Messiah to come. They still think he's coming. Now, they're not saved in Christ, but they still are trying to follow the practice. And now this gets us to a whole other area. That's why Israel is trying to uh, rebuild the temple. And it's a well-known fact that they have already started establishing, training up a priesthood. They're trying to get the ashes of the red heifer. They're already working on the temple garments, everything that needs to be done. They're working on rebuilding the temple because the Jewish nation wants to go back to that heritage in some ways. But it doesn't make them a God-fearing nation either. Anybody else going to think? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And, and that is a very good point. That reference is a real good verse to know. And that is uh, Rebel, excuse me, Romans 2.29. And this is where it really confuses some people. I can never be a Jew because I was not born Jewish. But spiritually speaking, I can become Jewish because I'm a follower of Jehovah. And that's what Judaism is, is a follower of God. But in our context today, we always look at Judaism as Old Testament, Christian, New Testament. Really what Paul is saying there in Revelation 2, I keep saying Revelation, and Romans 2, he goes, when you accept Christ, spiritually speaking, you're becoming Jewish. And it can get kind of uh, funky sometimes on that. Yeah, grafted in. Yeah, Romans 9, 10, 11, get grafted in. Anybody else got anything here before we move on? All right, let's go to the next one then, Renee. So how is this going to happen? Real quick here, Isaiah 61. We're getting short on time. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, Isaiah 61.1, to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now keep your hand here. Turn, if you will, real quick to um, Luke chapter 4. This is a fascinating little thing here that we need to talk about. Keep your hand in Isaiah 61 and please go to Luke 4. Now, in Luke 4, Jesus actually teaches out of this passage. And he gives the best interpretation of it because he's the one that took care of it. And if you're in Luke 4, it says, verse 16, it says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, which we just read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of him all were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And look at this, verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus says, this is about me. 
Now, what I find absolutely fascinating about this is if you look in verse 19 of Luke chapter 4, Jesus cuts the verse off halfway through to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He stops. He says it's fulfilled. Jump back now to Isaiah 61. What's it say after that? Ours is verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. See, Jesus said it's fulfilled. He's fulfilled the first half already. I've come to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty, opening of the prisons, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Stop. I have fulfilled that. This is happening today. We see the full picture. Verse 2 on the day of vengeance of our God. That's still yet to happen. That's second coming of Christ. That's tribulation. That's God's punishment on the earth. Well, look at the next part then. To comfort all who mourn, to counsel those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So if you're looking at this, verses 1 through 2, first sentence in 2, has been fulfilled. Verse 3, still come, excuse me, the rest of verse 2, still coming, day of vengeance. Verse 3, that's what we're talking about right now. That's the millennial reign, is this idea of Jerusalem being rebuilt and Israel being restored and the mourning being taken care of. That's still yet to happen. So how can all this happen? It all happens because Jesus, Israel will finally have its king. That's why the millennial reign can happen. That's why we can have all this, is because Israel will finally have its king. And so what you see here in Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, is you actually see the prophecy being split Happening some beforehand, happening some still to come, and some still down the road. It's just like we talked about at the beginning. You can see the mountain coming. It's really small. Eventually it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So as you read Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, you're literally seeing prophecy split there of some that's happened, some not. It's a fascinating thing. But we're running short on time here, so we're going to take us to the next one. Why is all this happening? And we can't spend a lot of time on this because i still got one main point that I want to hit. Isaiah 62, 1 through 5, we're not going to read all of it. But I want you just to focus on the um, uh, last part right here. Actually, verse 1. For my Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. God loves Jerusalem. Jump down, if you will, please, to the end of verse 4. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Why doesn't God just give up on Israel? Because he loves them. He loves them. And I think it's fascinating that God has not given up on Israel, but yet we've given up on Israel, haven't we, in a lot of times? And isn't it fascinating that God hasn't given up on Israel and he says, you know what? I promised Abraham 5,000 years ago, I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And what he's saying in Isaiah 62 is he says, I haven't forgot that. I will fulfill that. So yet, that's why that Genesis 12 is so important to us today, is if God says, I still remember my words, I promise to love you and take care of you, I'm going to do it, then we need to remember that too. So how does this apply to us? Last part here, and we're going to go through this quickly. Finally, application, and we'll get it done in about a minute. We pick on Israel a lot, but Israel and us are really about exactly the same. We're supposed to be lights of the world, Matthew 5.14. Jesus comes around and says, you're the light of the world. Now, when's the last time you shined so much for Jesus that you were like the moth going towards the light? People couldn't just stay away from you. Tell me about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. We lost our light. So we pick on Israel for not being a good light. We pick on Israel for being a horrible witness. But sometimes we're really not as strong as a light as we're supposed to be. 
And God says we're supposed to follow light. And real quick, and I know we're running short on time here, but I've got to share the story with you. If you remember, I, I shared this with you before. It's probably about, uh, when was it? It was probably about 10 years ago. I was over at uh, my sister-in-law Lori's house and her husband's Brian, and we were leaving, my wife and I were leaving the house, and they had some outside lights on. They had the malls flying around the light, and I had a bug fly in my ear. Now, I don't mean fly in my ear. I mean literally fly in my ear. It was the worst feeling I've ever had in my life. It's just like some creepy sci-fi thing. You feel this thing moving around in your head, and you can't get it out. It's horrible. So Lori who is a nurse, said, let's do this. She shut off all the lights, grabbed a flashlight, stuck the flashlight in my ear, and you know what the bug did? It flew right out. It followed the light. It really does work. You follow the light. You work with a bunch of people, you live with people that are just a bunch of bugs banging their head around because they have no purpose in life because they don't have Jesus. You're supposed to be a light that shines, that attracts to you so you can point them towards Christ. You're the light of the world, Matthew 5.14. Next one, Isaiah 61.6 called Israel priests. Well, 1 Peter 2.9 says we're a royal holy priesthood. Did you ever think about it from that perspective? God has raised you up as a priest. And what did the priest do? The priest, purpose of the priest were to love the people and point them towards God. Your job is to love the people and point them towards Jesus. Just as Israel was called to be a priest, wholly set apart for God, you're called to be a priest that is wholly set apart for God and to point people towards Christ. Next one, we're the bride. We just read that, Isaiah 62, 5. Well, in Revelation 21 and 22, we're the bride. God says, I love you so much that I'm going to spend all of eternity with you. It's a picture of marriage. You know, in Ephesians 5, when Paul was being led by the Spirit to try to find the best picture of our relationship with Christ, he used marriage. The idea of a man and a woman coming together in love and saying, we love each other so much we want to spend the rest of our time together. Well, that's supposed to be a picture of us. I love Jesus so much. Jesus loves me so much. I want to spend the rest of my life with him. Not spend my life with him. I want to spend all of eternity with him. And that idea of marriage. And why does God do this? Well, these are the verses I want to end with. And I'll just go through them real quick. You probably already know them just by looking at them. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we can sit here and analyze, why would God do this for the Jews? They have just turned against him and turned against him. They have just dropped the ball so often. Why does God do this? Well, before we answer that question, why did God die for you? You know, as far as I know, you were a sinner. I was a sinner. We brought nothing to the table, and so God says, I will love you even in your state of an unholiness and even in your state of sin. I still love you. Now, part of sin is sin has to be dealt with, and that's why we have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and we need to go to repent and confess, but he still loves us. And I want to go finish with this, the Second Timothy 2, 11-13. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. But listen to this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. See, Israel right now is faithless. But God says, I still love them. And you know what? There's going to be times in your Christian walk and in my Christian walk where people will look at us and say, you know what? That person ain't a Christian. There is no light coming off that person. There is no priesthood. There is no nothing. God says, you know what? I still died for that person. I still love that person. And that's the beauty of it, is when we are faithless, he still remains faithful. So we can pick on Israel and say they dropped the ball, but you know what? We're really a lot like Israel too. Same 
calling that God gave Israel to be a light to the world, he's also given us. God's called them to be a priest. We've called us to be a priest. God has said, I want to marry them. God says, I want to marry you. He wants that relationship with us. And so as we study out Israel, we're really actually studying out ourselves. So does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we close up? All right, we're getting really close to being done here with Isaiah. We only got, what, uh, 63, 64, four chapters left, and we will be done with the book of Isaiah. And I tell you, if you've got a chance to hit a lot of these messages, uh, that's a real neat blessing because Isaiah is a fascinating, deep, wonderful book. Wonderful book. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now, and Lord, we want to be lights for you. We want to be that holy priesthood for you. Lord, we want to be purely devoted to you in marriage. Lord, we want to be faithful to you. Help us to do that in all we say and do. And Lord, one more time, we give you those, the kids down at camp. We give you the group at the mission strip. Lord, keep them safe. Bring them back safely and help them just be lights for you in all we say and do. In your name we pray. Amen.